All right. Welcome to Imperfect Action. Of course, I'm Brock Edwards, and this is the show where we're looking to find ideas and inspiration to help us get out of our own way in whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. And a lot of times we, we talk uh, from a business perspective, whether it's you know entrepreneurship or starting a side hustle or just how do we focus in on our career to do things a little bit differently. And today's guest is Vanessa Shaw. Vanessa, can you introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and what you're about. Hi, Brock. So nice to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm Vanessa. I am the sticky note obsessed founder of Human Side of Tech. I spend my days thinking about how to create better employee experiences by working with HR and talent leaders, using design thinking and human-centered practices to just build a whole new way of working and have some fun along the way. Cool. So can you just quickly define design thinking and human-centered practices? Yeah. So design thinking is a method that has been historically used with building products, serving customers, building services. And more recently, we're looking at how can we bring that into creating workplace culture. And so it starts from the philosophy of understanding human needs through empathy practices, then building experiments, maybe prototypes, and testing those out quickly to get feedback so you can keep on improving rapidly before a lot of time and budget and resources are invested. Uh, so you can learn quickly and create things that have better value for a longer period of time because you've gone to a root origin opportunity before implementing. And it takes us out of this habit that we have of there's a problem, here's a solution, go implement it. Here's a problem, here's a solution, go implement it. So I find we're running around so quickly implementing solutions before we really know, is this the right problem to solve and doing deeper inquiry before we get started. You know, we had uh, Rich Sheridan from Menlo Innovations on the show, and one of his mantras is run the experiment. You know, just just try it out, see if it works and go with it from there. And, you know, there's this theme that keeps showing up and I, I love that it does. And, and it's the theme of joy. And, and so Rich talked a lot about creating a, a workplace where there could be joy. I uh, had several other guests on that also talked about kind of redesigning work or redesigning business. And then also had uh, Tumas Ranakari, who is a violinist, and he talked about aligning with joy, you know, actually making business decisions around what, what brings us joy. And uh, I love this theme. And so when we were talking right before I hit record, you know, one of the, the themes that you had talked about that often comes up is the idea of you know, is there a place for me in the world of work? Like, how do I find my place where I can be fulfilled, where I can find that joy? Can you say a bit more to that? Yeah, well, so like many of us, I spent a good part of my 20s wondering, who do I want to be? Who am I? What's going to inspire me? What kind of job do I want to do so that I can have a career that fulfills me? And so that took me on a pretty wild adventure. I moved many times. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, but I spent 10 years out of the area living in New York. I then went up to Seattle and Portland briefly, and then I found myself living in Mexico, and then finally I went to Spain. And along each touch point in location, I was 
testing out a new career, actually. I looked at being a teacher. I went to grad school. I worked in nonprofit. I got a job in government. I then worked on being an entrepreneur. uh, And then I did some management consulting. So each time was this new place testing ground to reinvent myself in a new city with new community. Um, So in many ways, I I did get to experiment a lot, but at the end of it, I still felt a bit lost. You know, I've tried out so many things and none of them are quite fitting or fulfilling me. And I think we often get stuck overthinking what might make us happy. And where I found my aha moments was by trial and error and just testing out and experimenting. And so I think when I came back to the Bay Area to live back in my home area, I I thought to myself, well, I've been out on, on the road for a while and working independently, working as a freelancer. Maybe I'll go back in company. Maybe I'll reconnect with what's happening internally. And looking at job descriptions, I would ha- I felt there was never anything that looked exactly like me. And I felt I had too many skills in one area and not enough in another. And it just gave me the sense of where do I belong? There's no job description that looks like Vanessa. And then I also heard from friends and others who've been looking that so often the descriptions are unrealistic. The amount of things they put into one role, there's no one person that can do all of those or has that mixture. And I just have started to wonder, you know, are we designing roles in companies that actually aren't made for humans and creating roles that are boxes when all of us are circles? Such an interesting thought. Um, you know, and, and I've never thought about it from, from that side. Like, um, is this me? Like where, where, where is, where, where is me in this job description? Um, at least I've, I've never really put it in those words in the idea of, you know, being, being circles, trying to find our, our, our place in, in the square box. So I think you're right there. I think um, most people probably feel that way more than any of us uh, both know and both admit, because when you're used to always not fitting, well, well, you know, that's just kind of the way things are. Um, and then some folks, of course, are very aware that that it doesn't seem to match up to them. So, what do you do then? Like, at what what's the next step? I, either for the individual, like, how do I go find that place where it is more of a fit for really who I am, or I can find that joy and fulfillment? Or from the company side, how how do we change things so that there is this obvious place for Vanessa or Brock or whoever? So I see a lot of people creating side hustles to fulfill the thing that isn't represented in their day job, in their life, so that they can have that creative outlet and be their full selves. So they'll create a side project. They do it for free. It's not profitable, but it gives them a sense of fulfillment. Internally in companies, I've seen things like creating a music room, for example, where those who work there can also go and play music during the day and there's a jam session. So creating space for those creative outlets because so much of our jobs don't allow room for creativity. And I believe all of us are creative people and all of us have a creative side. 
And so my goal and my work and what I do is helping us infuse creativity in how we work and how we come together, how we think together, how we play together with sticky notes and getting out of our chairs. I find the modalities that we work in, most of us, it's you sit in your chair at your desk, you look at your computer, you type, 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 you get out of your chair, you go to a conference room, you sit down, you go around the room giving updates, you go back to your chair, you go to your desk, type, type, type. It's back and forth, back and forth. Those are the two modalities of work that consume most of our week. And it's so limiting. There's so many other ways that we can work. And yet we're just stuck in this. And there's all this talk about overwhelm and stress, but I actually think and see a lot of boredom. Mm. So how, why, why would we confuse uh, stress for boredom or boredom for stress? So the opposite of being busy isn't being bored. The opposite of being busy is having space. And we're bored because we're just going to one thing after another after another. And when I'm not bored is I have space and that's where my creative thinking comes to life. Hmm. Okay. So, well, you mentioned working with sticky notes. So I, I, I'm guessing the solutions are, are more complicated than, than a pack of sticky notes, although I do think sticky notes solve a lot of the world's problems. Uh, at least they <laughs> solve a lot of my problems. Uh, so what what can we do? What what are just some simple things you'd recommend people do to tap into that creativity in how we're working together to get out of the, I'm at my desk or I'm in a very dull meeting? So doodling is a really powerful tool, <laughs> believe it or not. I used to be a bit embarrassed that drawing pictures and doodling wasn't a professional skill. Now we know that our minds are much more geared to understand images but yet we still rely a lot on words and writing and typing and explaining things through letters versus through images. So I think just a simple shift is having people use a sticky note or a whiteboard to doodle out uh, an agenda item or a topic to touch on or even saying what time you're going to finish. And instead of putting the number, just put the clock it's just a small pivot that adds a, just a little bit of joy and playfulness and sense of surprise. And I think if we can start in these small little ways, then you expand on it. So instead of putting the agenda in images or topics you need to touch on, how can you then also represent values that you want to bring to life in your marketing or your brand, your customer experience, your employee experience? Um, that's one really fast, easy shift. So let me ask, what is the magic behind sticky notes? I love this question, and I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. I think there's, there, there's a few things that come up. And it actually comes out of some research from a woman named Ingrid Fettel Lee. She, is, she recently was on the TED stage, and her blog is called The Aesthetics of Joy. You might love this place. But she did many years of research where she looked at, can we create environments that inspire joy and objects that create a feeling of joy? And what she found was eight patterns of what that was. And it was things like uh, bright pops of color, abundance or multiplicity, 
And when we work with sticky notes, we have both. We have bright pops of color, we have multiples, and there's also movement with sticky notes. You can take them and put them in different locations, whereas a spreadsheet or a slide deck or a written Google document with a list of agenda items, it doesn't have color, it doesn't have abundance, and it doesn't have movement. And so it's just flat and lifeless in some ways. And I think sticky notes really give us a sense of vibrancy and life, which I think all of our workplaces could use a little bit more of. Well, and I can't help but wonder, I mean, because when you talk about being creative, I think one of the the blocks for creativity for people, especially for adults, um, is the the sense of permanence. Like I have to do it right because it's always going to be there. And it strikes me that at least in my own use of sticky notes, they're really easy to throw away. (laughs) (laughs) Like I can put it on my work and I can take it off and toss it if I don't like how it ended up. That I, 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 that's, Sounds kind of weird when I say it, but it it just makes me feel like, well, I have a little more freedom here because if I mess it up, who cares? I, I can toss it so easily. Um, so, in, in fact, th- thinking about that, you know, thinking about creativity and failure, uh, how do you see those blending together? Yeah, so failure is not one of my favorite words, and not because I'm afraid of failure, but I feel I don't. I don't connect with the word because the message we always hear about failure is, well, you, you know, do you take away the shame, you know, go and fail. It's good. Failure is good. And, and you should be proud of it because you're learning. And I'm thinking, well, then didn't I not really fail because I actually learned something. So it doesn't make sense to me to the way we talk about it. And where I like to shift our thinking is talking about the experience of learning in public that, I am out there in the world. I'm putting myself forward with my peers, my team, my clients, my community, and I'm trying things out. And it might not always go as we expect. I I hope it doesn't because that's just the nature of trying new things and being okay to stand on my two feet and learn in a public way so that others know that it's safe for them to be in the learner seat too. And we can be learners together. That's the energy that I want to create when I'm working and when I'm facilitating my workshops and, or just with friends too. So how do you facilitate that? Because I I think as adults, we're so often taught, or at least we believe that while yes, there's all the things about fail faster and all that, that, you know, we'd rather fail in our offices where no one sees us uh, versus... (laughs) You know, failing where others see us and, uh, you know, we, we feel like we're, we're back in junior high again. Uh, so how, how do you get people just past that hump where they realize that there's not a consequence to this? Like you, you can learn in public and not have it go the way you wanted to. And that's cool, too. Leading with curiosity is something I've spent a lot of time reading about and experiencing With moving overseas and learning a new language, I speak Spanish now fluently. And so that's a lot of public learning when you're talking in a conversation and you're fumbling through your words. And being curious about being in a new cultural environment and and being in that place of, I'm 
a beginner here. I don't know my environment. I don't know what's happening. And I, I need to be asking good questions. I need to be observant in intentional le- listener as well. And these are all tools that work incredibly well with design thinking practices and human-centered design is being an intentional listener, exploring things deeper with curiosity and sitting in that position of, I'm here to learn. I'm not here to arrive as somebody who already knows something. And this, I think, is actually a fundamental shift of what we view leadership as that's still emerging. I don't think we're quite getting everyone on board yet, but folks who I'm following and admiring and wanting to spend time with and admit what they do, they're also embracing that I'm here to learn. I'm not necessarily here to be a knower. And ironically, somebody positioned it to me of the difference between what, what does it feel like and look like to the difference between a learner and an expert? And they brought up that Oprah was a great example of that, because whenever we see her, she's not ever talking about what she knows and how smart she is and how successful she is. She's sitting there listening to somebody else's story and trying to learn what it's like to be them and learn from their life experience. And I thought that was a really great example. Definitely. Um you know, just as you were talking that, that there is a difference between being, or there's a different feeling I associate with the words expert versus learner. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet every expert I know is intensely interested in learning. I, I've met, I've met very few experts who don't enjoy learning and don't ask a lot of questions and don't mind looking foolish by, <laughs> by, by their questions. Um, and I always find that to be an interesting contrast because there's so many people, so many of us who don't want to look foolish, don't want to ask the question, just want to stay quiet and hope we catch up with the conversation later on and and miss that opportunity to learn. So, you know, the idea of being an intentional listener, what what does that look like? How, how does that feel? How is that different than just being a listener? When I'm in my workshops or when I'm with groups or peers working on something, sometimes we look at what are people saying to listen to, but also what are what's not being said? What are we avoiding talking about? What's happening in the room? What's the energy? Did Was there kind of a strange pause? Was there a large gap of time? All of those are signals. And the other part of it, intentional listening is, of course, not multitasking and actually listening to learn and shifting out of listening to respond. That's one of the simplest ways to become a bit more intentional is is really listening to learn and understand as opposed to respond. And 90% of our lives, I think we sit in that. I'm going to respond to them. Oh, I have something to say about that. Let me add to that. Um, a really powerful tool to think about is the the repeating it back. And I heard something from you. Um, let me just clarify if I uh, confirm that I understood it by saying, okay, so what you said to me, Brock, was X, Y, and Z. And what I understand is, 
X, Y, and Z. It, it, does that sound right? And letting them confirm or clarify. And sometimes I'll use different words and you might say, you know, I didn't say it like that, but actually that represents what I meant so much more so than the words I could find to use. Mm. So you describe yourself as a, in fact, I was pulling it up here as just as we were talking, talk about being a bad listener, but I was doing it while I was talking, not while you were talking. So <laughs> I think I'm okay. Uh, but you describe yourself as a bit of a rebel and find that to be a, a more fun way to approach life. So what does that look like for you being that bit of a rebel? How does that show up? So I, I was thinking about where did this all begin, right? Origin stories are always fun to think back to. And I remember being in middle school, the way our campus was, there was a big quad and the classrooms were on one side and the lunchroom was on the other. So to get to the lunchroom, you had to cross over this huge quad where everyone could see you. And so it was a big risk because kids are mean and whoever crossed the quad, people would call out mean things or throw things or tease you, you know, middle school is a terrible environment for humans. Um, <laughs> and it was, you would need to have friends cross the quad with you. That was the status quo of how to survive middle school. And I just thought this whole thing was ridiculous. And also having to have a friend accompany you to go to the bathroom was another cultural necessity at that age. And I remember I would always just walk across the quad, say, I don't care. It takes too much time to find somebody to escort me. Um, and I remember that so clearly and it's resonated throughout the rest of my life. Um, moving overseas when all my friends were settling down, buying houses, getting married, having kids, I quit my job and I got on a plane to a country I'd never been to and moved there with no job and no community and just said, I'll figure it out along the way. And, um, just having, the confidence that if I put myself in a situation that I don't know what to do, that I'll, I'll figure it out. And I'm not going to live by the rules that somebody else has written for someone else. I don't know what my own rules are yet. This, you know, when I was younger, I, I, was, I wasn't quite sure what my own rules for my life were. Um, so just putting myself in, self in new experiences as much as I can to see how I deal with it and, and understand how strong I am through watching myself get through it and come out better on the other side. You know, there is a definite theme amongst guests on this show uh, that very few have had kind of this straight line career path. And I always find that fascinating because, you know, mine certainly has not been straight line. And so what do you wish you knew starting out or, or maybe I, I rephrase that, you know, what advice would you give, you know, college freshmen, someone just starting off on their career on how do you approach this, this thing called life and career where we, we tell everyone that, you know, it's going to be a straight line. Like you go to college, you do this major, you get this job, but that's just really not how it tends to play out. But, but we still encourage them to go to college and, and do all those things. <laughs> if I could so, talk to my younger self, I would, I would really, I would want her to know that this is a great adventure and to think of it through the terms of it's an adventure. And I recently went on a trip all by myself 
And I told my husband that I really wanted to take a vacation alone and be on the road by myself. So I flew down to Mexico and was there for about six days by myself. And I did it because in my 20s, I had done a lot of travel independently. I traveled with friends. And then when I couldn't find a friend to go with me, I would just go anyway, just like across the quad at middle school. And I remember feeling so alone and sad that I was by myself and I was in some obscure place in Thailand and I didn't have somebody to turn to and say, can you take the picture for me? And feeling very lonely and and not fully loving the freedom that I had because I wanted company. And then fast forward now in my 30s, I was feeling I missed that version of me who just got on her own and didn't care if she had company and she felt a sense of freedom. So I think looking back, if I could remind, if I could have told myself that, that these times of being alone and feeling alone in the world might actually be some of your favorite memories. So to decouple ourselves from that need to have approval from others or the encouragement or support from others, because when we can find that in ourselves internally, which it's always there. It's just, can we reach it? Can we connect with it? We're so much more powerful to do the things that scare us, to launch out of a company that doesn't support us and build your own business or to move to a different country or to leave an unhealthy relationship because the person that's going to support you through all of that is, is yourself and it's inside of ourselves. And think, you know, take some time to find it. Um, but that's what I would tell young people that are launching out into the abyss. You know, we spend the first 20 plus years in community of call, um, peers and fellow students. And then we've got our education system. And then all of a sudden you're out on your own and you can, the, the opportunities, the choices have just gotten so much wider and that can be really scary and overwhelming. And, um, but I would, the other thing I would just say is travel, go travel, go to new places as much as you can, because in traveling, uh, we find so many powerful lessons about ourselves and how to show up as leaders in the world. Nice. Nice. You know, uh, Jim Rohn famously once talked about how we are the average of the five people we're with most. And a lot of others have echoed that since then. Um, and Jason Womack, who, who was an early guest on, on this show, he, he gets a little more intentional about it. He, he kind of approaches it from the, okay, well, if we are the average, then who do I need to be surrounding myself with? And so a question I'm always intrigued by, and I don't know if you have an immediate answer for this because we don't often think about this, but you know, who are the two or three people that you absolutely want to meet this year? Michelle Obama for one. <laughs> and, and, the, and my follow-up is why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Michelle just really shows what powerful and graceful leadership looks like. Um, I don't think any of us have any sense of what she experienced and how many challenges she faced on an everyday basis and how much uh, she showed up for uh, so many of us as a leader. Um, so she's just one of my <laughs> top. Um, 
And as far as I, I'm not so much a person that looks at celebrities or uh, specific individuals, but I look for certain qualities. So I guess for the second, I would say anybody that is taking risks in heartfelt ways. So giving honest feedback, sharing vulnerably about who they are or what they're struggling with and being willing to share their experience, not so much to promote their ego, but just to create connection with the people that are in front of them right there. Um, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to one of my peers and somebody who I've learned a lot from. Her name's Marley Williams. She is one of the first people that comes to mind who embodies that. And in her presence, I feel more willing to crack open the corners that I might be a little bit worried people might see. And then when I have done that, it's just been, once it's been opened, it's harder to shut close. And that's a really powerful habit to get into. Mm. Well, how do you get into that habit? It's a little bit like ripping off a Band-Aid, I think. Um, it never feels comfortable to show a side of us we're worried how the world might receive. And so when you, you just kind of, you just do it. It's the Nike, you know, stop humming and hawing about it and just do it. Of course, it's not always the right moment or context. Um, and sometimes those are where we do need to, like in our workplaces, bringing a sense of honest conversation is really refreshing. And it's something I like to do with my business is that I'm not going to tell everyone the same things they've heard a hundred times before. And I'm, I speak very honestly about what it's like to build a business. It's very popular to talk about your wins and your successes and using your failures as an example of how bold and badass you are when really building a business takes a lot of energy and it's not easy and it doesn't turn into an overnight success. And we build businesses brick by brick. And I think we, we don't share that story enough. We often will share it in hindsight. And that goes back to this idea of learning in public. So it's very common for us to hear a very successful entrepreneur or business where they say, oh yeah, the early days were really difficult, but now we're so far removed from it, you'll, you'll listen to us like we have credibility because we're already successful. But I find there's so much power in sharing the learning while it's happening and not needing to show, well, I already have the millions or I already have the markers of success and that makes me credible. What makes me powerful and effective and uh, contributing to growth for all of us is being comfortable learning right here in front of you as it's happening. Well, Vanessa, this, this has been fantastic. I love, love, love the idea of learning in public. Um, I haven't thought about it that way. And to me, that's such a disarming way to think about it in a very, very good way. Um, you, you also mentioned that, that you missed that version of you. And I really like thinking about, you know, the version of me, not 
who I used to be, um, or, you know, who I want to be, but I, I don't know. Version sounds softer, maybe less, less permanent. The idea that, um, you know, of course we, we kind of, kind of mold and change throughout the years and throughout time. And, uh, but it, it's not this one and done kind of static thing. Um, anyway, that's where I went with it. I don't know if that's what you meant by it, but it, <laughs> it resonated. For yeah, me. that's great. It sounds like, you know, a, another version of your prototype of who you are that you're testing out along the journey of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love thinking about it that way. Well, where can people find you, Vanessa, if they want to track you down, connect with you? Yes, I'd love if you come and connect with me and see how we play with sticky notes at humansideoftech.com. Also on social at humansideoftech. Awesome. And, and my final question for you, a question I ask every guest is, how can the audience help you out? What, what would your ask be of them? If they're playing with sticky notes at work, take a picture and send it to me on Twitter. <laughs> Very cool. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun. Thank you, Brock.